We've told you about Walter's Brunch, but did you know that Walter's also is open for lunch? Monday through Friday, Walter's opens at noon for lunch, midday baseball watching, and even the occasional European soccer match. So if you find yourself around the ballpark during the day, make sure you walk on over to Walter's. The Nats are coming home now, and that means a lot of action around the ballpark. Plenty of opportunities to head to Walter's before, during, or after the game throughout this homestand. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Match checks the runner Robles at second, fires an 0-1. And a swing and a long drive to center. Richard going back on this one to the warning track at the wall, looks up and it's gone! It just clears in dead center field. A three-run blast for Josh Harrison. His second home run of the year doubles the Nationals' lead. It's six to nothing. And welcome to Nats Chat for Thursday, April 29th, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. We got what we've been begging for, an easy, breezy Nationals win on Wednesday night, an 8-2 victory over the Toronto Blue Jays in Dunedin, Florida for a two-game split of that series. Nats get to 9-12 on the year. They smash Steven Matz to the tune of six runs in three and two-thirds innings, get a great start from Eric Fetty. You see, Mark, all the concern, all the angst, Nationals give you a stress-free Wednesday night. Al, I feel like they're doing this just enough, having these kind of games. This isn't the first one they've had like this. They've had a, a decent number of these like just really comfortable wins that make you say, okay, this team does have it. They could put it all together. The problem is they seem to follow it up with a really ugly loss. There just have not been very many run-of-the-mill, close, back-and-forth kind of games. I'm looking at the scores of all their games right now. They've won games this year by scores of 6 nothing. 7-1. to one. This one was 8-2. to two. They've lost games, though, by scores of 9-5, to 14-3, 11-6, 12-5, 6-0. So it just feels like all these games are to the two extremes, and there aren't a lot in the middle ground. Now, you know, if you want to take the positive side, hey, they do have the ability to put it all together on a given night. They just need to show they can do it more consistently, and, and maybe that will come here at some point. Yeah, I mean, the Nats, they're 9-12, and 12, so they have nine wins. At no point has this team won more than two consecutive games so far this season. So it's been this, you know, very herky-jerky, stop-and-go, one-step-forward, two-step-back kind of season. Perhaps you can start to piece together some kind of a win streak. You are facing the Miami Marlins up next. You have a six-game homestand coming up, although after the Marlins, it's the Atlanta Braves. But no one's really killing it right now in the National League East, so we're still not really sure who's good and who's maybe not so good so far this season. But it was a good performance by the Nationals 
on Wednesday night. And, you know, we could start with the offense, which was very good, and there's a lot to get to with that. But I don't know, man. Eric Fetty, this is really encouraging what we're seeing from this guy. He gets wrecked in his first start of the season, and over the four starts since then, he's been tremendous and maybe never better than what we saw on Wednesday night. One run in six innings, seven strikeouts versus just two hits. I mean, albeit two extra base hits, but still issues three walks, one of which was intentional. Eric Fetty now, since the blow-up start to begin his season over his last four starts, an ERA at 261. I mean, what they're getting out of this guy, I know it was a first-round pick, but this has been such a pleasant surprise so far this season. It's one of, I'd say he and Joe Ross combined are by far the most pleasant surprise, and not just for what it means right now, but what it means in the long term. We've been talking about how they have not been able to develop their own young starting pitching and have anybody stick. And eventually, they are going to need somebody to take over for Scherzer and Strasburg and Corbin, whether because those guys are gone or because they're just no longer effective the way they used to be. Now, I'm not saying that after you know four starts that Fetty and Ross are ready to take on the number one and number two spots in the rotation, but this has been really encouraging from them. You said 2.61 ERA in his last four starts, 0.968 whip, so less than one base runner per inning, and he's becoming a strikeout pitcher. He's using all of his stuff, and I think it's 24 strikeouts in 20 innings he's had uh, during this four-start stretch. I, I agree. I think this is probably the best sustained stretch he's had in in, uh, in his career, and he did it on Wednesday night against a good Blue Jays lineup that, let's not forget, had beat up on Max Scherzer 24 hours earlier. That, to me, stood out. That was very impressive. Can he keep it going now is the only question. But what we've seen here for the better part of the last month, you have to be encouraged by it. Yeah, I mean, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. with three home runs on Tuesday night, perfect bottom of the first for Fetty on Wednesday night. He strikes out Vlad for the third out. You know, that seemed kind of like a statement moment on the evening. But you hit on what I think is the most significant thing with Fetty, and that is that he's become more of a strikeout pitcher. He's been the exact opposite of that in his major league career. You look at Fetty over the previous two years, 2019-2020, he averages 4.8 strikeouts per nine innings. I mean, that's really bad, especially in this modern day and age in which the strikeout doesn't mean what it used to mean. You know, There's been a, a devaluing, a deflation of the strikeout over the years because so many guys strike out so much more these days. When you average 4.8 per nine innings, it's like, wow, that's really not good. Here we are, though, last four starts. We mentioned the 261 ERA, 20 and two-thirds innings, 24 strikeouts. He's averaging more than a strikeout per inning. I mean, Wednesday night, one run in six innings, seven strikeouts. This is great if, in fact, this is who he is now. I haven't looked at his velocity numbers. Is he throwing harder? Is he throwing differently? Like, I wonder why he's become so much more of a strikeout pitcher. So I asked him the question after the game, as a matter of fact. Thank you for the segue right into this uh, for me perfectly. He is throwing a little bit harder. He's been throwing the fastball like 94 to 96. So there is something there, but it's uh, it's a sinker. So he's getting movement with it. But he said he feels like the key is he's actually throwing fewer fastballs and that they had a conversation in spring training with Jim Hickey in which it was pointed out that his fastball usage was really high, like 60%, which is very high compared to the rest of the league. And so they were trying to tell him, hey, you have good secondary pitches. Try to trust it a little more. His cutter has been really good for him. And he threw that 34% of the time in this game. He only threw the fastball 40% of the time, threw 18 curveballs and then eight changeups. So he's trusting all of his stuff and is able to get uh, swings and misses with a lot of them and is able to throw them in any count so that the hitters aren't just sitting on one particular pitch. And I, I think you're seeing an evolution here from a guy it's taken a while. <laughs> you know, he was drafted seven years ago. 
but he's still only 28 years old. He's still got a lot of future ahead of him, plenty of mileage left on the arm and may just be a slow developer, but they're finally seeing the benefits of it. Now, again, we're, we're talking one month here, so let's not get too excited yet, but these are encouraging signs if he can keep it up. And I know you could just see it in his eyes, his face. He's not downtrodden at all. He is really happy and really enjoying the way this is going. And I think he probably feels more confident than he has in a while. Yeah, you know, it's tricky with Fetty because like you said, he was drafted seven years ago and he has pitched in parts now of five major league seasons. But if you look at his innings total going into this season at the major league level, it was just 194 innings. Like that's really not that much. I mean, you know, for a good starter, that's a season, right? 194, 200 innings. So it felt like he'd been around for a while and he has been around for a while, but he really hadn't gotten that much of a shot at the major league level. We've all seen it for years. He's been jerked between the majors and the minors. He's been jerked between starter and reliever. Now, at some point, it's like, just get people out and stop worrying about that stuff. But, you know, I know that's not always the easiest thing to do. And one thing that is really interesting about starting pitchers, especially a good number of high-level starting pitchers, they're not all great from the get-go. Like, Max Scherzer was not Max Scherzer until a few years into his career. And you could argue really didn't become Max Scherzer until he came to the Nationals. He had that one dominant season with Detroit, but it really was with the Nats where Max, you know, ascended. Roy Halladay had an awful start to his career before becoming the Hall of Fame pitcher that he became. And I'm not saying Fetty is Scherzer or Halladay, but it can take a while with some guys. And especially when you consider fewer than 200 major league innings coming into the season, maybe with Fetty, he just needed, you know, enough reps to where he could get to where he's at right now. I don't know how you felt about it at the time, but I, I remember when the news got out about Max Scherzer's signing with the Nats. And I remember my thought was, Okay, he's a good pitcher, but is he a $210 million pitcher? The answer is yes. Obviously, he's, he's even more than a $210 million pitcher. But we forget, you're right, that he was just starting to come into his own at that point. Hadn't really established himself as the best pitcher in baseball that he was for several years and, and, you know, Hall of Famer that he has become. So yeah, it does happen at different rates for everyone. Sometimes it takes a little adversity. It takes kind of learning who you are as a pitcher. And I think maybe Eric has figured that out. Now, I think there's going to be an interesting question. We, we may have a while until this comes up for sure, because it's going to require Steven Strasburg being healthy and coming back. But with John Lester supposedly on the verge of coming back either this weekend or sometime shortly after that, they're going to have a five-man rotation. Fetty is still part of it. But whenever Steven Strasburg comes back, there is a spot that they've got to now figure out. And I don't know that you want to mess with this guy the way that he's pitching. Uh, I don't think you do. Now, the John Lester ramp-up is the longest ramp-up in the history of ramp-ups. I've never seen a ramp this long for a guy in my life, especially for a guy who's done nothing but make 30 starts season in, season out, You know, with the exception, I guess, of last year. But even last year, he made 12 starts, which is the equivalent of 30-plus starts. But yeah, man, I'm not taking Fetty out of the rotation. You know, I'll figure it out. I mean, if Patrick Corbin continues to struggle, maybe you have to have a hard conversation with him. But if Fetty is finally clicking... Don't mess with that. Although it would be so apropos with the way Fetty's career has gone to where he gets jerked around one more time. And now that he's doing well as a starter, they say, hey, kid, you got to go to the pen or hey, kid, you know, you're not going to be in the rotation anymore. Like, no, he's finally clicking. You know, this is what you drafted him to be first round. He was a top 20 pick in that 2014 draft. So if he's finally coming into his own, like the last thing I would do is mess with Eric Fetty. And I don't think they will, you know, as long as he keeps pitching like this. And we always make a big deal out of, you know, these things like, oh man, what are you going to do? You're going to have too many starters. And and the answer from the baseball people is always the same. These things have a way of sorting themselves out. 
and it will. I think it's going to be a while until we see Strasburg anyways. I don't think he's on the verge of coming back. He's still got to build his arm back up and they'll probably be careful with him. We don't know what John Lester is going to look like when he does finally make his debut. We don't know what's going to happen with Corbin. We don't know what's going to happen with Joe Ross. So I think it will find a way to work itself out. And I trust that the Nationals, if Eric Fetty is still doing this you know, for another two, three, four weeks, whatever it takes, they're not going to want to mess around with that. They know that he is the future and that they don't want to do anything that might uh, disrupt what he's done for them. Yeah, John Lester may be on social security by the time he makes a season <laughs> debut. We'll see. Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. So we've all had the dream, right? Tie game, bottom of the ninth, bases loaded. Well, on FanDuel Sportsbook, you get more than one shot to swing for the fences because FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free. That's right. New users get up to $1,000 back in site credit if your first bet doesn't win, and it only gets better from there. Once you have an account, you'll have access to same-game parlay insurance all season long. That's up to $25 back in site credit each day if your same-game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way, you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. They've got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. And a reminder, if you live in Virginia, you will have access to the sportsbook so you can make as many bets as you please. On Thursday, Nats are off. You might be paying attention to the NFL draft, but if you still want some baseball action, FanDuel has you covered with bets such as the Dodgers facing the Brewers with Trevor Bauer on the mound. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code CHAT. 21 plus and present Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fandle.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-9-WITH-IT-INDIANA. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER. New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789, or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Are you interested in buying or selling your home? Support for Nats Chat comes from Rachel Levy of Compass Real Estate. By focusing on the personal parts of the real estate process and using technology to simplify the rest, Rachel seamlessly guides her clients through their experience. Rachel uses her deep local knowledge and exceptional customer service to advocate for her clients all across D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. To learn more, follow her on Instagram at Real Estate Rachel. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Now the set. 2-1 pitch. Cracked in the air to left field. Moving back on it is the left fielder looking up. It is gone. Goodbye. Over Guriel, over the wall and straight away left and banged off an advertising billboard above the wall right back onto the playing field. There it is for Josh Bell. An opposite field to run homer. And it's now the Nationals eight and the Blue Jays nothing. The Nats offense, great to see this the last two games. Much better production than what we've become accustomed to. A lot in the way of the extra base hit. Now, of course, you were playing in a minor league park, but still, Nationals had some very good at-bats over these two games against the Blue Jays. An excellent series for Trey Turner, who, boy, if ever there was a case to be made for a guy being like a totally different hitter in a certain spot in the lineup, Trey Turner is it. Because Trey Turner in the number one spot, much different than Trey Turner in the number three spot, at least with what we've seen so far this year. But Trey goes, you know, borderline nuclear on Wednesday night, four for five with a double and three singles. Uh, He's he's just been awesome so far this season. He's slugging 585 on the year. Ryan Zimmerman, I mean, in limited opportunity, how good has he been so far this season? Three for five with three singles and two RBI on Wednesday night. Zimmerman has a 571 slugging percentage on the season. And you got homers from the two Joshes on Wednesday night. Josh Bell, yes, a home run, just his fourth extra base hit of the season. Boy, did he need that. And Josh Harrison with a home run. So a lot to like from a Nationals batting standpoint in this win on Wednesday night. A lot to like, and they did it against a lefty Steven Matz they have hit before. And I know some of these players are new and they haven't faced him as much, but Turner and Zimmerman have certainly faced him a lot over the years from when he was with the Mets. And you saw Davey Martinez specifically go with a lineup that he thought would be effective against Steven Matz. He loaded the top of the lineup with righties, Turner, Harrison, Zimmerman, and Castro. And those four went a combined seven for 10, scored four runs, and drove in six just while Matz was in the game. (laughs) So that was three and two thirds. So I think Davey had a sense of what that group could do. I agree with you about Trey Turner. He always says, hey, it doesn't matter. I've hit everywhere before. I'm not going to treat it any differently, but I do have to wonder if when he was hitting third for that week or so with Juan Soto injured, if he was putting more pressure on himself to be that the guy, the focal point of the lineup, and then they moved him back to the leadoff spot, and he's like, is it's old Trey Turner again? So that was good. Victor Robles got on base twice in front of him as the second leadoff hitter, which Davey loves so much and rarely has worked out. So that was good. I mean, really a lot of stuff to like about the way they hit the ball. And like you said, really in the whole series, Tuesday night's game was more about Max's troubles, but they did hit. And maybe now you can hope that this you know, translates into something that there is a little bit of momentum offensively that they're going to be a little more consistent day to day and they can take this into the weekend against the Marlins. 
One of the great outrages of this past offseason was Trey Turner not getting the silver slugger for National League shortstops. Trey Turner wasn't just the best hitting shortstop last season. He was the best hitting shortstop in all of baseball last year. So it wasn't just the best hitting shortstop in the National League last season. He was the best hitting shortstop in all of baseball. Silver slugger is for the best batter. That Turner didn't get it, I thought was ridiculous. But he's really picked up where he left off from that standpoint. People can quibble with the defense, although the advanced metrics so far are actually quite nice to Trey Turner. He's having a pretty good season so far defensively. But offensively, I mean, I know people will bring up, you know, Fernando Tatis Jr., and there are a lot of good hitting shortstops right now. And I think Tatis is the better all-around shortstop. But just as a pure batter, Trey Turner is really good. 364 on base. He's batting 317. He has just been great. And another big series against the Blue Jays. Big game, obviously, with the four hits on Wednesday night. What do you make, though, of what's happening here with Ryan Zimmerman? I mean, he basically gets buried for a week. You know, so much for him being like ice cold off that or anything else. He has the one out, two run homer in the top of the seventh on Tuesday night. Like I said, three for five, three singles, two RBI on Wednesday night. He's batting 333. He's got a 364 on base. I know it's kind of like a Howie Kendrick thing of less is more with Zimmerman at this point in his career, but this guy's got to start getting more opportunity. He's been one of the Nationals' best hitters so far this season. Yeah, I agree with you. Now, I think it's working out about exactly as they hoped it would, where, like you said, less is more. And I was worried. I thought sitting for a week was going to maybe, you know, leave him ice cold. And it didn't do that at all because he had a, a fantastic series down there in Dunedin. Now, what do you do without the DH? And Davey mentioned that he thought he wanted to keep Bell in the sixth spot for a couple more days. You certainly don't want to bench the guy who now finally is starting to show some signs of life. And it wasn't just the home run. He hit a ball to the warning track. He's hitting balls in the air now as opposed to those ground balls. So you don't want to ruin that, but you also don't want to just forget about Ryan Zimmerman again because you don't have the opportunity to use a DH. So I think it's going to be a little bit of a balancing act. To me, it seems like Zim should be starting one out of every three games at the moment. You find the best matchup, and I I haven't looked at who they're facing with the Marlins. I think maybe they have a lefty on Sunday. You know, obviously against a lefty, he's got to be in there. And then, you know, find that spot for him to be a pinch hitter late in the game. Like, I know he was in the on deck circle a few times. It just didn't work out. It didn't make sense, but get him those at bats just to keep him fresh. And I think it'll work out in the end, but. He does need to play more, but at the same time, you can't just sit Bell altogether because in the long run, you do need him to hit. So it's a balancing act, but I think they can find a happy medium there that keeps Zimmerman healthy and productive while not risking Bell just falling off the table here. So it was notable on Wednesday night, Davey did drop Josh Bell in the lineup from four to six. Uh, Interestingly enough, Bell responds with a home run. I mean, I don't think one has anything to do with the other, but it was kind of funny that it worked out that way. And you mentioned Josh Bell finally starting to elevate some baseball. So I was looking at some of the StatCast data with Josh Bell after he hit that homer on Wednesday night. And it was a great homer, a two-run homer, top of the fifth, just his sixth hit overall on the season so far. But this is why the StatCast data to me is so valuable. So Josh Bell, of course, everyone knows, had the great 2019, had the lackluster 2020. Josh Bell came into this game on Wednesday night with an average exit velocity this season of 93.8 miles per hour, better than his average exit velocity in 2019, that career best season, the uh, average exit below that year was 92.4. So he's actually been hitting balls harder and better this season. He just hasn't been elevating them at all. The launch angle thing was hysterical to me. Bell came into this game with an average launch angle this season of negative 0.4 degrees. The average (laughs) launch angle in 19 was 13 degrees. That is a massive discrepancy. 
you know, I know some people like to poo-poo launch angle and, oh, you know, this is the ruination of baseball. That's a separate conversation. This is why guys try to launch baseballs because of what's happened to Josh Bell, a totally different batter from a production standpoint this season versus 19, when in fact he's hitting balls harder so far this season as compared to 19. Negative usually isn't good, right? No. no. Okay. So just making sure that, yeah, if you're hitting the ball at a negative angle, that's probably not going to lead to good results. So, and I think some of that is why Davey has been sticking with him, recognizing that it's maybe just a matter of time before those balls start being elevated some, and that it is a matter of his timing at the plate. What it's showing is that when he makes contact, he's hitting the ball hard. But the problem has been he's not making contact enough. He's swinging through a lot of pitches. He's taking some fastballs for strikes. And he keeps pointing this out, and Davey's mentioned it as well. The pitch that he gets to hit down the middle of the zone, he's fouling it off. And that's a problem. He's got to take better advantage of the good pitches to hit. Now, I think he is starting to get there, and you're starting to see more encouraging signs. But all of that there is exactly why you do stick with him, because if you're just going to judge it based on the batting average and the slugging percentage and the strikeouts, then you're going to say, man, he looks like a lost cause. But if you dig deeper and you see how he is hitting the ball and, you know, the numbers are telling them this, but the hitting coaches and they, you know, the baseball people see it themselves. They see it with their own eyes. They know he's hitting the ball hard and they know that's usually just a sign of it's only a matter of time before they start to fall in for hits. And so I do think there is reason to believe that he's going to snap out of this. And, and here's the thing too. I don't know if Josh Bell is going to end up having a good year for them or not, but here's what I do know. We've seen him at his absolute worst right now, and he's not going to be like that for six months. It's impossible to be that bad for six months, not as an established big leader leaguer who has a track record like he does. Now, he could raise his batting average 100 points and he's still going to be hitting 200. <laughs> so that's still not a good season. There's a whole lot of improvement that needs to happen. But I feel confident in saying that what we've seen so far is the worst we're going to see from him, and it can only go up from here. Couple of other offensive notes with the Nationals. Starling Castro had another run batted in on Wednesday night. One for five, Ribby single, and that Nationals three run third. It's interesting if you look at Castro's offensive profile so far this year. The slash line isn't very good, just a 286 on base, just a 354 slugging, but he's number one on the Nationals with 13 runs batted in. So, I mean, to whatever extent you want to value RBI, personally, I don't do it much, but that is kind of quirky that he actually hasn't been that good of a hitter, but he's plated more runs than any other National on the season. And then you mentioned Victor Robles in that sort of secondary leadoff spot once again on Wednesday night in that number nine spot. I just got a kick out of he was batting behind Hernan Perez. I mean, he, <laughs> David won't even put Robles ahead of Hernan Perez. Uh, Perez was a starting right fielder as they gave Yadiel Hernandez the night off, which was kind of interesting. Perez 0 for 4 with a couple of strikeouts. You said it. Robles got on base a couple of times, one for three with a single and a walk, had the leadoff single that ignited that three-run third inning, worked a nice uh, seven-pitch walk with one out in the Nationals' three-run fourth inning. Were you surprised to see Perez? I mean, I know Perez hasn't played much. I thought that was kind of odd, though. Like, Yadiel's been doing well. Why would you take him out of the lineup? It's because they're facing the lefty, and I think Davey was just really more concerned with, you know, stacking the lineup as many right as he can. But this shows you the issues they have with their roster, and they don't have a right-handed backup outfielder. And their only other right-handed bats are Aaron Perez and Jordy Mercer, a couple of utility players. So that's some questionable roster construction there that hasn't worked out so well, and it left them in a spot where they had to do that right now. But here's the thing. Aaron Perez, if you remember, way back on opening day, he had the first hit of the season for the Nationals. It's going to be a great trivia question someday. Who had the first hit of the 2021 season? It was Aaron Perez. Well, you know what he is since then, Al? 
0 for 17 with two walks and 10 strikeouts. And this was his first appearance in the field in 18 days. In the last 18 days, all he had done was one pinch hit appearance and two pitching appearances. Okay. So if you feel like that's his value to your team, um, I'm not so sure that that's worthy of a spot on the 26 man roster. And here's where it gets interesting. When Juan Soto comes back and he's eligible on Friday, I'm, I'm not convinced that he's going to be back quite that soon. But when he does come back, somebody's got to go down. Are you going to send Yadiel Hernandez, who has shown he can hit no matter where he is? Or are you going to bench or demote Andrew Stevenson? Or are you going to say, let's keep those two extra left-handed outfielders, even though they kind of profile the same way? And let's um, decide not to keep one of our utility men who, at this point, his most valuable skill has been the ability to pitch at the end of blowout games. That, to me, seems like a pretty simple answer. Yeah, it's 100% Perez. You know, I I think sometimes managers get way too caught up in the lefty-righty stuff, especially when it comes to setting a lineup and like, well, we can't have too many righties or too many lefties in a row. Like, I understand some guys are much better batting against righty pitching versus lefty pitching or vice versa, but it's like, just get your best guys up there. I mean, you know, for all the stuff about the side of the plate that Perez bats from, he goes over four with a couple of strikeouts. Like, what are you doing with that? Yadiel Hernandez is doing well. I mean, you have Perez ahead of Robles. I mean, really, if you like Robles enough as a secondary leadoff guy, why is Hernan Perez batting ahead of Victor Robles? And of course, it didn't cost the Nats anything uh, Wednesday night, but I just, I don't know. I wish they would get away from some of that. Hey, Nats Chat listeners, Tim Shovers here to tell you about Sunday Scary CBD. You know, we're getting to the point where prioritizing mental health is becoming less stigmatized. People are finally starting to talk about strategies to stay centered and calm in their everyday life. That's why I'm really excited to tell you about Sunday Scaries. Sunday Scaries are specially formulated CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that taste absolutely delicious and are easy to take on the go. Sunday Scaries CBD gummies help you live life scare-free by promoting a sense of calm, quieting your mind, and just helping to chill out and relax. In fact, Sunday Scaries CBD gummies and CBD oil have won glowing coverage in publications like Men's Health, Forbes, Allure, and best products. I've been taking Sunday Scary CBD gummies ever since I got my care package in the mail, and let me tell you, it's been fantastic. As someone like myself who works weird hours and needs to chill out at around 2 a.m. before going to bed, it's been the perfect thing to take right before I brush my teeth. Today, you can get 25% off your first order with the code NATSCHAT at sundayscaries.com. That's 25% off your first order at sundayscaries.com. Enter code NATSCHAT where it asks for a coupon on the checkout page. Ready to chill out and get some much-needed peace of mind? Head to sundayscaries.com right now to get 25% off some sweet, sweet CBD gummies. Support for Nats Chat comes from Manscaped, which has the best men's grooming tools to get the job done. Fellas, listen up. Manscaped is here to ensure your post-quarantine body is ready for whatever the world throws at it. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the movement for all of your male grooming needs. I just got mine in the mail the other day. I'm excited to finally use it. This is the best trimmer on the market for those of you in need of a chest shave. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to advanced skin-safe technology pioneered by Manscaped. You can also adjust settings to get a length that you like, and you can stay on top of it with almost no effort at all. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the Essential Lawnmower 3.0 Waterproof Cordless Body Trimmer and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. For a limited time, subscribers get two free gifts 
the Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value add, and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped Boxers. Get your 20% off plus free shipping with the code WASHINGTON at manscaped.com. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code WASHINGTON at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And don't forget to use the code WASHINGTON. So you mentioned we hadn't seen Aaron Perez in a long time. We certainly had not seen Brad Hand and Daniel Hudson in a long time. In fact, it had been exactly one week since we'd seen either guy. That finally changed on Wednesday with each guy pitching for the first time since the previous Wednesday. Davey goes Sam Clay in the seventh inning, gives you a scoreless seventh. Hudson does give up a bomb on the first pitch he throws in the uh, one-run eighth inning for the Blue Jays. A uh, first pitch leadoff homer by Bo Bichette, and then Brad Hand tosses a perfect ninth inning. But for those who may have forgotten that Hand and Hudson are on the roster, they did pitch on Wednesday night. They did, and I I think they, especially Hudson, might have been a little too fresh, a little too amped up. He was pumping it in there, 97-98, and that first pitch, you know, hit out of the park. Now, he was pretty good after that. Wound up throwing 21 pitches. You need more work than that. And again, it speaks to what we started this podcast out with, which is all of their games, it feels like, have been lopsided one way or the other. There have been very few games where they've held a one or two run lead late, but there's also been very few games where they've been tied or down a run or two late where you might want to use your best high leverage relievers. And so both of them, you know, sat around for a week with nothing to do. And I don't know what the answer was because the game situation is just dictated not using them. You don't want to burn them up and then find out the next night that you needed them and maybe they're not as sharp. But it was good to see them in there. Certainly, Hand had a real nice, quick one, two, three, bottom of the ninth. Now they got another day off on Thursday, but they're good to go for the weekend. You'd like the team to get into more situations in which those two guys and Tanner Rainey can pitch, because I do think this is actually a strength of the team. And there just have not been opportunities for them to be used that much as a strength because the games haven't played out in a way that you can maximize their appearances. Yeah, no doubt. And like I said on the previous installment of the podcast, I do want Davey to get a little more liberal with his usage of these guys. Like, it doesn't have to be that you're protecting a one or a two or a three-run lead. I mean, especially with this series coming up after this next one against the Marlins, a three-game set against the Atlanta Braves next week. Like, those are going to be big games. So if you use Brad Hand, you know, in a sixth inning in a close game or in a seventh inning in a close game, like, that's okay. You're allowed to do that. And then figure out your save situation, figure out your ninth inning situation later on. But I mean, they gave Brad Hand, what, 10, 10 plus million dollars, like he's their best reliever. Use him, you know, lean on him a little bit. He may not be here next year. So get what you can out of him. So the Nationals are nine and 12. It is really incredible. The National League East, which was supposed to be the best division in baseball, so far has been the worst division in baseball. Not a single team has a winning record. And so for all of the angst with the Nationals at nine and 12, yes, they are technically last in the division, but they're just a game and a half out of first. Philadelphia Phillies and Atlanta Braves tied atop the division at 12 and 12. So we're just getting started here with this 2021 season. This has not gone the way I don't think anybody expected. And let me give you some little fact about each team coming into Wednesday. The Braves had the worst ERA in the National League as a team. That's not going to stay that way, right? You wouldn't think so. The Mets had scored the fewest runs in the National League coming into Wednesday. A lineup with Alonzo and Lindor and Nimmo and Conforto. That doesn't seem likely to hold up in the long term, I don't think. The Phillies had the worst bullpen in the National League. Now that could hold up because they had the worst bullpen in the league Every year. last year. And that is their Achilles heel. And that I do, it's why I've been down on them and maybe not feeling like they can 
return to contention. And then we pointed this out. The only team in the division that has had a positive run differential are the Miami Marlins. And so you said, oh, you know, after this weekend, they've got a really big series with the Braves. Well, hang on. This weekend against the Marlins might be really big and they might prove to be just as pesky of an opponent. So the Nats have benefited from the fact that nobody in the league has taken off, nobody in the division. And, you know, the Braves, especially as the team that sort of looked like the front runner coming into it, have had their share of issues. They've been bailed out by that. But I don't expect this to continue for long. I do think the cream of the crop is going to start to rise here, especially in the case of the Braves, maybe in the case of the Mets. And I think the, the Marlins are going to be tough. I don't know that they're going to over 162, that they're going to hold up. They may be exposed over that, but they're not going to be an easy out. And I don't think there are going to be any easy games in the division this year. So three games against the Marlins at Nationals Park this weekend, followed by another off day on Monday, and then a three-game set against the Atlanta Braves next week, Tuesday through Thursday. You tell us what you think. You tell us where you're at with the Nationals. We've gotten some breathers here lately in terms of the off days here with the Nationals. You can always tweet the Nats Chat Podcast at Nats underscore chat. You can email us to Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com. And we thought we'd try for some scheduled fun here on the Nats Chat Podcast. So with Little League seasons up and running, Mark's son, Brian, is in the midst of his Little League season. We wanted to see if we could generate some tales from the Little League from all you guys out there. Maybe some stories of greatness, maybe some stories of despair, maybe some stories of some parents going bonkers, maybe some stories of some coaches slash managers thinking that they're Tony La Russa in Game 7 of the 2011 World Series. Whatever the case may be, Tales from Little League, hit us up via email, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. I'm looking forward to these. As a parent now who is experiencing Little League, for all that it's worth, there's some great moments. There are some frustrating moments. There are a lot of walks, a lot of wild pitches, a lot of stolen bases. But every once in a while, something pretty cool happens. And in my son's game on Tuesday night, the other team... Kid in right field catches a fly ball, throws to first base for a 9-3 double play. The, everybody went nuts. Even the parents of the opposing team are cheering for him. So it, it's fun to see it starting to come together. As a kid who loved playing Little League myself growing up, I'm just really appreciating this right now and watching it through my son's eyes, even if some of these games are a little bit tough on the eyes to watch at times. Well, we saw Zim get doubled up at first base on Wednesday night, so it happens to everyone at all levels uh, with that going down. Are the three true outcomes a problem in Little League Baseball or not so much? Those two true outcomes, walks and strikeouts, <laughs> not a lot of home runs going on. But, you know, more and more are some balls in play. They are making some plays in the field. But, yeah, it's not a real crisp uh, thing, you know, style of play at this point. But they're growing. They're getting better. And it is cool to see the development season to season and how far they've come. And you think only like two years ago when like they couldn't do anything out there and you are starting to see the signs of it. So it, it's been a lot of fun to watch. That's great. I, I love playing Little League. My son is too young to play Little League. He's three and a half. He hits me with a bat, not a ball. So we got to work on that. But yeah, <laughs> you tell us your tales from Little League, Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Gomes sets an outside target. And a swing and a chopper slowly hit past the mound. Charging in Turner. Barehand play. Throw to first. And he gets his man. What a play by Trey Turner. That was an all or nothing barehanded play on the slow tapper. And Trey Turner makes the play to retire Gritchick and the Blue Jays in the third. That's the defensive play of the night for the Nationals.